Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for December 8th, 2019. Today in our In Order to Believe message series, Jesus chose a specific sign at a specific place for a specific purpose to start off his ministry. The book of John chapter 2 shows us how the Messiah decided to reveal himself to a world lost in sin and in desperate need of a savior. Out of all the things Christ did, the Apostle John chose to share this one in order for us to believe. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. All right, it's been a while since we've been in John. We're in John chapter 2, in order to believe the same series. Remember, John wrote this. We saw when we started this off, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we're looking at how do we as the body of Christ, what is our responsibility when it comes to sharing the good news? What are those things that we need to ensure that we let others know about? And we talked about the fact that God exists, the fact that God is creator, the fact that God created things and everything was good. God had an order that he established, and then into man we came, and we looked at God's order, and we said, nah, we're going to do our own thing. So we introduced disorder into God's world. With that came punishment, came sin, came death. So Jesus had a plan. God had a plan. He said that I will recover them from their death by me coming. And so the good news was that sin that was over us, uh, uh, that sin that we had, the wrath of God that was over us because of our sin, because of our disorder, because of our doing our own thing, Christ came to remove that. And when we look at John chapter one, it says the word God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And so John goes from the doctrinal piece of the first part of the book and he transitioned into more a narrative stance where he begins to look at and tell us the things that Christ did. And so we saw at the end of chapter one, he saw Jesus walking. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then we looked at, we continue chapter one. Jesus began to pick up some guys along the way. He saw Andrew, he saw Philip, he saw Nathaniel. Uh, Andrew brought Simon Peter. And what Christ was doing, he was picking a select group of people to go with him as he began to start his ministry. And that brought us to chapter two. So I'll read chapter two, verse one. On the third day of the wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, verse one. Jesus' mother was there, verse two. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any more wine. Jesus said, what does this have to do with me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Then Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Verse six. Now, six stone water jars had been there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told them, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior wine. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Verse 11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here we have the famous first miracle, first sign that Jesus did to jump off his ministry was turning water into wine. So to set it off, 
You have to understand what was going on. Jesus was starting his ministry. It was the jump off point. It was the beginning. He was around 30 years old. And the, the, one of the reasons I like those verses is because the verse we read, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come. We have to look at the time, what was going on during this time. Paul said in Galatians that at this perfect time, God sent forth his son. This perfect time, Christ came. So what was that perfect time? Well, one of the things was Alexander the Great had previously conquered the world, entire world. And when he did that, he made the entire world or the known world language as Greek. And so you had all these different countries and different places where people speaking different languages. Alexander the Great took over the world, changed the entire language to Greek. Now, everyone spoke Greek. So when the fullness of time has come, we got everybody in the world speaking the same language. Also, by the time Jesus came around, the Romans were in charge. And so the Roman Empire, they came and they ruled with an iron fist. And so the Roman Empire had a universal system of justice and peace going on. You couldn't cause no havoc. They didn't stand for it. They didn't stand for any zealots. They didn't stand for rebellions. They didn't stand for protests. They didn't stand for none of that. It was all about chill, keep it down, peace. And so when the fullest time have come, everyone's speaking the same language. And... Country after country after country after country, there was this universal system of justice and peace. So traveling from country to country was a little safer than it was before. Also, Romans had built these things called, we refer to them as the Romans Road. And so back in the day, they were, you know, people had to go through mountains and trees. Romans came and said, you know what? We're going to connect this entire world that we've conquered together with these roads. And so they built these incredible roads that was revolutionary back then, that are still standing today, thousands of years later. Still strong, still sturdy. And so I could easily travel from one country to another country to another country to another country while speaking the same language, while enjoying this universal system of peace. Also, for hundreds of years, the prophets have been prophesying. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, Amos, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. So people knew that this Savior, this Messiah was coming. Jews had spread around everywhere. Jews were normally in this little place, Judah, around Jerusalem. But by the time Jesus showed up, there were Jews everywhere. There were Jews in Africa. Right? You had black Jews. You had Spanish Jews. They were everywhere. They had spread out across the whole known world. And as they went to the known world, they carried their laws and their customs. They carried their beliefs in this God, this one God. This one God who demanded sacrifices for sins. They also built their synagogues and their little churches, their little synagogues. They built them at the different places. So, yes, synagogues in Africa and Asia Minor and Spain and all across. We had these things. And so the fullness of time, the Old Testament scripture that Moses wrote, that Daniel wrote, that had been translated from Hebrew to Greek. All this stuff God had put to place, put in place so that when Christ showed up, Everything would be perfect for him to come and bring this message. None of this stuff was done uh, uh, out of a coincidence. The fullness of time, when it was time of completion, God said, now everything is perfect. Another thing was the timing for the Messiah was perfect. In, um, in Genesis, uh, Jacob was talking, and there's a verse in Genesis that says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes or to the Messiah come. So that was a prophecy that uh, uh, Jacob gave talking about the Messiah. Shiloh is the name for the Messiah. The scepter in Old Testament days was this staff 
that um, the leaders of the tribes of Israel used to carry. So if you were the tribe of Dan, you had a Dan staff. If you were the tribe of Levi, you had a Levi staff. If you were the tribe of Issachar, you had an Issachar staff. And that staff signified that that guy was in charge of that tribe. And because of that, they had the rules and the laws and, and they were able to govern the people. And so the scepter, the staff, being with Judah meant that Judah was governing it itself. Judah made its own laws. Judah made his own rights. Judah had his own customs. Judah also was in charge of life and death. They could administer the death penalty. So if you uh, were in the tribe of Judah and something went wrong and they decided that's worthy of death, they could actually kill you. They didn't have to ask anybody why, because they were in charge. In 6 AD, an interesting thing happened. 6 AD. When 6 AD came, the Romans, when they took over, they went over to Jerusalem and everything to say, okay, you guys can still do what you want to do, but you're not in charge anymore. I'm actually going to put a guy in charge over you. And from here on out, you can have your little cute little rules, but the main ones and the main laws are going to be governed by these guys. And so they put these uh, procurators in charge. And so the first Roman procurator name was Coponius, and he was in charge of the Jews in Judea. And when that happened in 6 AD, not only were they in charge, but he also took away their right to administer the death penalty. And so in 6 AD, the scepter, or the right for the Jews to rule themselves, was removed in 6 AD. Now, what did the prophet say? Jacob said in Genesis, Messiah will come after the Jews lose their rights to govern themselves, especially that death penalty. In 6 AD, that happened. It's funny, one of the um, uh, uh, rabbis, an old rabbi, Jewish rabbi, said this quote, when the members of the Sanhedrin in 6 AD, Sanhedrin were the Jewish elders and the leaders during that time, found themselves deprived of their right over life and death, found themselves that they could not administer the death penalty. Remember when the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, what did they have to do? They had to go ask permission from Rome. And so they had to go to Pilate and say, but we want to kill Jesus. And Pilate was like, why do you want to kill Jesus? Ah, blah, 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 blah. Then Pilate was like, well, why don't you pick, kill Barabbas? He's a bad guy. Remember that? They couldn't kill Jesus on their own. They had to go ask the Romans. This rabbi said, when the members of the Sanhedrin found themselves deprived of their right over life and death, a general consternation took possession of them. They were very upset. They covered their head with ashes and their bodies with sackcloths, exclaiming, exclaiming, woe unto us, for the scepter has departed from Judah and the Messiah has not come. But the Messiah was there. Christ had come. The one who the prophets had talked about was here. And John said, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. The Messiah was here. So Jesus was starting his ministry. And so what was Jesus's purpose? What was the purpose of his ministry? Couple of things. Flip real quick, one page over. You might not even have to turn to John 129. John 129 John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, here, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The purpose of Jesus, the reason why Jesus came was to take away the sin of the world. Man has decided he wanted to go, she wanted to go 
follow disorder as opposed to God's order. And so that is called sin. Jesus's mission, Jesus's purpose here was to take away the sins of the world. A couple of verses up. Verse 14, John 1, 14. John, the apostle, writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? We have seen or observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The purpose Christ came, his mission was to reveal us his glory, to show us that he was God, to reveal his glory. And notice his glory was full of grace and truth. Grace is God's power and faithful and promise-keeping love of God. And so Jesus came to reveal the power of God, the love of God, and the fact that God keeps his promises. That's grace. And then truth. Truth is the truthful, reliable nature of the name of God. The name and the nature of God. And so God, Christ came to reveal the truth. God came, Jesus came to reveal the truth of who he was and who God is, that God is reliable and he's truthful. Reliable is a, is a fun word. I'm not always reliable. I don't always do the things I'm supposed to do all the time. I saw Padilla call me like Tuesday, and then he called me again like Thursday, and I was like, ah, oh, I got to call him back. They went back. Ah, oh, I got to call him back. They went back. And I finally hit him up Saturday. Hey, man, what's going on? It's been like three days since I saw he called me. I'm not reliable sometimes. I feel bad about that. But what we know about God is God is always reliable. I can always depend on him. There's never a time God was like, oops, my bad. God has never said my bad. He's always there. And that's what Jesus came. His ministry, he started off his ministry to let you know first, came to take away the sins of the world, came so that you may see his glory. Romans 3.21, look over there real quick. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. God's mission, Christ's mission on this earth, the purpose that he came, the reason he started this thing off is because he's showing you the righteousness of God. We, didn't, we, we had some ideas of what God's standard was. It wasn't until Christ showed up and tabernacled with us and sat with us that we actually see God's standard. And so we see righteousness. Righteousness is God's ruler. Righteousness is God's standard. How do I know how tall I am? I'm five foot seven and three quarters. I know I'm five foot seven and three quarters. I rounded up to five eight. I mean, why not? Five eight. Let's go with that. I'm five foot eight. The reason I know I'm five foot eight because we take this standard called a ruler and this ruler is 12 inches. That's a standard, 12 inches, you know, a foot. And we put one there and say, okay, that's one, that's two, that's three, that's four, that's five. It might be six feet. I don't know the way, the way I'm working this, maybe six feet. But that standard lets me know. And so when I compare my height to Jaden's height or compare my height to Dwight Howard's height, there's a standard. It's not, oh, how tall are you? Well, I'm, uh, I'm six uh, flexions. And Dwight Howard is six foot six inches. It's not inches and flashions. No, it's a standard. It's a foot. It's an inch. Christ came as God's righteousness. That's God's standard. What am I supposed to live up to? How do I measure myself? Do I measure myself against Tally? Well, we see how Tally lives her life and see how Olu lives his life. And Olu will measure his life against Tally. I'm like, hmm, 
Tyler's a little bit of a heathen, so <laughs> I'm that much better than Tyler, so I'm good. No, Tyler's not the standard. Olu's not the standard. The standard is Christ. And so Jesus came and said, oh, by the way, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look like me. You're supposed to talk like me. You're supposed to respond how I respond. When people treat you wrong, you're supposed to do what I did when people did me wrong. When times are hard, you're supposed to do what I do when times are hard. That's the standard. Christ came to show us that. And lastly, 1 John, written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John that we're looking at. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John. The book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed, observed, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the internal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Life. Jesus came. He showed up. He started this ministry saying, hey, I bring life. The opposite of life is death. You've been currently living in death. There's a stench of death among humanity based on us picking our own order, disorder against God's order. And so when Christ came, the word showed up bringing life. He showed us what living truly is. And so Jesus said, I'm 30 years old. The fullness of time has come. It's time for me to step out. What is your purpose? We show what Jesus' purpose was. Take away the sins of the world. Show us his glory, grace and truth. Show us this, the standard that God, we should live by and to bring life. Our purpose, according to the books and the context that we're looking at, is to tell the world to come and see. Just like Andrew told his brother, hey, man, come see. Just like Philip told Nathaniel, hey, come and see. Our responsibility as the body of Christ is to show people to Jesus. That's it. Why? Because they are in need of forgiveness because of their sins. They need to see the glory of God because they need grace and power and truth in their life. They need to know what the standard is because the world thinks the standard is something else. God told me, well, I live a pretty good life. I never hurt nobody and kill nobody. That's not the standard. Living a pretty good life, not hurting nobody, never kill nobody. That's not the standard. The standard is, do you line up with the righteousness of Christ? And whoever does not line up with the righteousness of Christ will spend an eternity in hell. And to understand that God brings life. Our responsibility is to tell the world to come and see that. And so the ministry of God started off. Jesus' ministry started in John chapter 2. He started it at a particular event. He decided that he was going to reveal himself you heard of coming out parties or uh, somebody going uh, the new album release parties or, 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 or somebody got a new, uh, uh, what's the designer, uh, um, Kanushi Fasashi, okay? They got a new clothing line and they are releasing that new clothing line and it's a walkway and people are walking, you know, prancing and doing all this kind of stuff. Reveal it. Jesus decided, I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to start off my ministry at a wedding. I thought that was interesting. 
It says that Jesus, verse 2, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. I read a quote from a guy named Warren Rearsby. He's he's an old preacher. He said, wise is that couple who invited Jesus to their wedding. I thought that was cool. Wise is the couple that invited Jesus. They had a wedding and they invited Jesus. Now, the question is, and one of the questions is for us, has Jesus been invited to the marriage, folks, to our wedding? Has Jesus been invited to our marriage? This couple who was getting married decided we're going to get married. We're going to start this thing off. You know what let's do? Let's invite Jesus. Let's bring Jesus into our wedding. Let's bring Jesus into this commitment we're about to make. The question for us as married folks is, have we invited Christ into our marriage? And then the question is, how do you know? How do we know that we invited him? Well, we know that we invited Christ into a marriage if we see those things that Christ's purpose is in our marriage. For instance, if it says that God came, his purpose, Christ came, was to take away the sins of the world, take away those sins, the question is, in my marriage, is there purity? In my marriage, is there forgiveness? In my marriage, am I doing what is right? How do I know that Christ has been invited as he was here in Canaan? Well, because Jesus' purpose of his ministry was to tabernacle with us to show his glory, the question is, do others see the glory of God in my marriage? The other people look at my marriage and say, wow, look at that grace and look at that truth that Olu and Melissa have in their marriage. Reliable, truthfulness, power. The other people see that. The righteousness has appeared. Jesus Christ came. We saw in Romans that righteousness appeared, that standard. And so the question is, does my marriage live up to God's standard? When I look at my marriage and what goes on in my marriage with my wife, my relationship, does it match God's standards? God gives explicit instructions as a man, as a husband, what I'm supposed to do, as a father, what I'm supposed to do. God gives explicit instruction as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, what she's supposed to do and what we're supposed to do together. When I evaluate my marriage, does my marriage live up to the standards that God said in his word? It's my responsibility. This couple invited Jesus to their wedding. Have we invited Jesus into our marriage? And the last thing that Christ brings is life, is our marriage Vibrant? Is there vivaciousness? Is there energetic in my marriage? Or is it cold, dead? We just going through the motions. And not only thinking about marriage, I think of the young people. As you grow, God has it for you to find a man or woman for marriage. Those things that you should be looking for is invite, make sure that Christ has been invited into your relationship. And you know that because there's purity in your relationship because Christ came to take away the sins of the world. I'm doing the right thing in my relationship. The glory of God can be seen in my relationship. So I see this guy, he's cute, but the question is, do I see the glory of God in him? Do I see grace? Do I see truth in this person? God comes, Christ come, and he was a righteous standard. So the question is, does this woman I'm looking at, she fine, but does she live up to the standard of God that God set? These are the questions that you ask as you go and you look and you grow and you say, hmm, that guy might be interested, that girl might be interested. And lastly, is there life? Is this guy or girl, are they dead? Is there a stench of death around them because they're not living how they're supposed to live? Is there life there? Those are the things you want to know. Why? Because we are supposed to, as the body of Christ, invite. 
Jesus into our world. And as this couple did, invited Jesus into their marriage. Interesting that Jesus chose a wedding as the place to perform his first miracle. Now, we've, we all know about Jesus turned water to wine. This is a, one of the most famous ones. I have to be honest with you. And I don't know if this is bad or even if I should be saying this. Prior to this message, I never really, I never really thought this was the coolest miracle. I'll say that. I mean, water into wine. Got it. But I mean, there's a blind man who couldn't see. He was born blind, and now he can see. You know, Jairus was walking around. His daughter was dead. There was a funeral happening. Jesus was walking. A funeral was going on. Jesus was walking by the funeral. They had the body that was dead. The people were out there crying. They were dressed in black. Jesus walked by. What's going on here? It's a funeral. Daughter died. Oh, word? Give me one second. Get up. Girl jumps up. This is at, at the funeral. So that means she's been dead for a long time. Lazarus, he goes to Lazarus' house. Mary and was like, you should have been here. You could have healed him from sickness. Jesus said, ah, I came right on time. Take me to the grave. Open the grave. It's going to stink in there. Open the grave. Hey, Lazarus, let's go. Those miracles to me are like, oh, my goodness. Now, that's a miracle. So the water to wine thing was kind of like, okay, it's, you got some water. And now you got some wine, and it's a miracle. But I never really looked at that as, wow. And I wondered, why did he choose that for his first one? Like, why did he just start off the top? We're going to start raising some dead folks. Bam. You know, leprosy. Where my lepers at? Put your hands up, leprosy. Bam, 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 bam. Now you don't have it no more. Why did he go straight to, like, to that? What's up with just water to wine? And so as I was studying, as I was looking, as I was reading, I began to see some things. The interesting first thing was the fact that he decided to have his first wedding at a, I'm sorry, his first miracle at a wedding. Now, I think that speaks to the importance, the magnitude, uh, 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 the gravitas, if you will, of the marriage covenant. The fact that Jesus, God himself, has come down, he decided I'm starting my ministry, and the first thing I'm going to do is go to this wedding and perform my first miracle. What was it about the wedding? That, what was it about the thing? Well, I think that God was honoring, he was letting us know off the top that this right here is one of the things that I'm really down for. This wedding, this marriage. If we look back, look quick, quickly with me to Genesis chapter 2. Marriage was one of the first things that God ordained, the first things that God put in place. If we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that's chapter 23. Let's go to 22. Let's go to 21. This just all looks good. 21. Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, talking about Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place for surgery. By the way, Genesis is the book of firsts. Okay, you go to Genesis, you see God did a lot of all this stuff. It was the first time this happened, the first time this happened, the first time this happened. And so when you want to see what God thinks about something, go back and look to what he said about it the first time he did it. Because the first time he did it sets the tone for every time you see it all through Scripture. Okay? Very important. So this is the first surgery. Uh, 22. Then the Lord 
God made the rib he had taken from man into a woman and brought her to the man. And he said, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called, whoa, man, woman. Get it? He looked at her like, whoa, man. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from a man. And then God steps in and he says, this is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt so felt no shame. God establishes marriage here in Genesis chapter two. One of the first things he established and he said, notice what he said. This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. To show how serious that is, people are like, well, that's an Old Testament. Turn with me to Matthew 19. God said, I'm going to have, Jesus said, my first miracle that I'm going to perform, I'm going to perform it at a wedding. I think that speaks to the importance of marriage, the concept of marriage, that God chose that as his opening to the world. In Matthew 19, chapter 4, Jesus is talking, and he said in verse 4, 19, verse 4, Haven't you heard that he who created, talking about God, them from the, from the beginning, made them male and female? So first of all, that clears up a couple of things. Notice what Christ said from the beginning, talking about in Genesis, God made them male and female. There's male and there's female. There's no in-between. There's no transition. There's no I was this, now I'm that. Or I was this, now I'm that. Notice what Jesus said. This is Jesus. This is New Testament. So for all you people, well, the New Testament didn't say that. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, haven't you heard? Like, you, you crazy? From the beginning, from the jump off, when this whole thing started, God made them male and female. There's no such thing as gender. Well, that means you don't believe the Bible. Well, gender is fluid. I don't, I don't know what that is. Gender is fluid. It's fluid gender. You could be male, or you could float, and then you're female, and then you float, and you're male. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus, out of his mouth, said, are you crazy? Don't you know that from the beginning God made male, male and God made female? Verse 5, and he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Man and woman, there's a distinction in there. God created a distinction. Male has man stuff. Women has women stuff. The distinction is there. And the Bible says in Genesis from the jump, Jesus repeated it in uh, Matthew in the New Testament that marriage is for a male and female, for a man and woman, period. That's it. You can't add nothing to it according to the word of God. You can step outside the word of God and do whatever you want, but you're not living up to the standard that God set in his word. Jesus said that's why man should leave and cleave. So when God says, you know, that's why male men should leave their mother and father, leave their families. He's not saying don't talk to your family. You're not saying disown your family. What he's saying, what the scripture means is not that you can't spend time with your mother and your father and your sisters and your brothers. But what God wants you to understand, the way God set up marriage is that marriage 
your marriage created a new family. When I, Olu Bolden, got with Melissa Velez and we stood in front of God and I said, God, for the rest of my life, to death do us part through sickness and health, I will commit myself to this woman under you. When we said that, we started a new family and this new family must take higher priority over my old family, according to God. That's what it means. So when decisions come and it's like my old family or my new family, guess what wins every single time according to the word of God? My new family. That's what it means by to leave your mother and father and cleave. And so I can't have my old family coming to my marriage. You should do this. You should try this. Maybe you should do this. Or the nice thank you, appreciate it. We take that advice and we put it over here on the side. And I'm going to talk to my wife because this new family that God has created now takes priority over my mama, my daddy, my sister, my brother, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles takes priority over that. That's how God set up marriage. That's the only way marriage works under the word of God. Then he said to cleave. So that's the leave part. The cleave part doesn't mean that I'm forever 24-7. We hold hands. We never let go. I go everywhere she go. We go everywhere we go. We go. No, that means, that word there means that I have been joined, I've been united, and that we will not quit this thing. Jesus said, I'm going to start off my ministry at this wedding. I think that it speaks to the importance of what marriage is by Christ going to this wedding. And this is where he revealed his glory. So Jesus' disciples were invited to the wedding. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. And Jesus said, I always thought this was interesting. What does it have to do with me, woman? Now, you got to remember, the Bible is an Eastern Orient book. So when we say, if I went up to my mama, I said, look here, woman. I might get the look here, woo, out. I'm catching something, all right, to the face. Something, something quickly is coming. You don't speak to your mama like that. Don't try that. All right, I'm telling you now. We're not in the Eastern Orient. What was going on was Jesus was basically saying, the things I do from this point on, because my ministry is starting, it's not based on, mother, what you would like me to do. It's not based on disciples, what you would like me to do. It's not based on what I want to do. What Jesus was saying that from here on out, everything I do now is starting with what Christ, what God wants me to do because my ministry has started and from here on out, I'm doing what God, my father, wants me to do. And Mary understood that because you see in verse 5, she says, do whatever he tells you. Now, what's interesting, running out, and, and this is why I used to think, what's the big deal? Running out of wine at an Eastern Oriental wedding was the biggest, oh, no, they didn't, of all times. I try to th compare it to what it could be here at a wedding. You know, we all go to a wedding, we go to a ceremony, we all get in our cars, we drive to where the reception is, we get to the wedding reception, and we walk in and we sit down, and it's like no food. There was supposed to be food, and it's no food. And so everybody's sitting around, the tables are set, the plates, the forks and the knives are there, the band is playing, we're all sitting down, but it's no food. Now even that, you go to a wedding, no food, you be like, wow, that's messed up. But that's not what happened here. This wasn't, wow, that's messed up. This was, oh my goodness. Can you believe? There was shame attached to this. Wine in the Old Testament, in the Bible days, was something that uh, Psalms 104 says, and wine which makes the heart glad. 
Ecclesiastes 10, 19 said, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry. What was going on then was wine at these weddings. By the way, the weddings were seven days. They were seven-day feasts. So they ran out of wine, shut down the celebration, shut down the merriment, and it also brought a sense of embarrassment to the husband, to the groom, and it was a financially costly situation. Because it wasn't like you could go, oh, we need to go buy some more wine. It was done. It was shut down. These guys were ill-prepared, the shame, the embarrassment, all that stuff was there. It was a big problem. But notice how quickly Mary went to Jesus with the problem at hand. I thought that was exciting. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. As soon as the wine ran out, as soon as the situation got bad, as soon as the problem arrived, as soon as stuff got crazy, Mary immediately went to Jesus. Question is, how quickly do you go to Jesus with your problems at hand? If you got problems with your family, how quickly do you go to Jesus? If you got problems at work, how quickly do you show up to Jesus? When you have problems at school or personal problems, how quickly do we go to Jesus? The Bible says in Hebrews that though he is king, we have the right and the authority to boldly approach this king, to boldly approach this creator and ask him to help us. Then Mary said in verse uh, 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 five, she turned to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. So I also thought, how quickly do we point others to Jesus with their problems? When the servants realized, when the guys realized that the blind was gone, they were, oh my goodness, we're going to get in trouble. We're about to get fired. We might get killed. Mary saw that they were distraught, saw that there was problems, and she told them, hey, there's a guy here who can help you. Do whatever he says. When people come to us with their problems, hey man, I've been having issues with Look here, girl. I mean, I, you know, you go to church, maybe you could pray. I've been having problems with how quickly do we point them to Jesus or do we point them to man? Well, you know, what you should do is you should really work hard or I've got some self-help books here you could do. Or How quickly do we point them to Jesus? We should be as Mary did and point them to Jesus quick. Jesus has power to step in when you're ill-prepared, when you're on the verge of financial peril, when there's embarrassment, when there's struggle, when all hope is gone, but you have got to invite him in. He's got to be there. The reason Jesus could do something in this situation is because the couple had invited Jesus to their wedding. The only way Jesus can help you in your school situation is if you invite Jesus into your school situation. The only way Jesus can help you in your marriage is if you invite Jesus to your marriage. The only way Jesus can help you with your finances is Jesus can help you with the struggle with your family. The only way that Jesus can help you in your health situations is if we, as this couple, invite him in. We have to invite him in. We have to open the door to our hearts, to our lives, to our school, to our family, to our finances, to our marriage, to our thoughts, to our life. And we have to say, Jesus, here's an invitation to Olu's thoughts, and I want you to come in to Olu's thoughts. And as you're there, I want you to take away the sins. As you're there, I want you to show your glory, your grace, your truth. As you're there, I want you to show your standard so my thoughts can live up to your standard. And as you're there, I want you to bring life. That's the only way God can move, Christ can move, if we invite him. And so we should invite him there. The thing you're struggling with, have you invited Jesus to it? 
That nagging issue you have with your husband and your wife, have you invited Jesus into that? A situation you have with your brother, sister, family, have you invited Jesus in? That stress, that anxiety, that thing you can't figure out, have you invited Jesus into that? Let's do that. Let's be a body of Christ who has invited Jesus into every aspect of our life. So as we live our life separated from each other, it will be full of righteousness, full of God's glory, full of life, and full of doing the right thing. And then as we come together as one, when we minister, when we do things together, everything that we do will be combined with God's righteousness, life, the glory of God will be seen in us, and we will be doing and living the right way because we have invited Jesus into our situation. Father, we love you. Thank you, God, for what we read today. We thank you for the example how you're about to show yourself and show your glory, God. And how this couple invited you in, God. And I pray that we, as your followers, God, will invite you into our situation. So that your glory may be seen, your righteousness may be seen, and your life may be seen through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.